You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. As God guides, God provides. If God is not guiding, or if God is not providing, then maybe he's not guiding. The eternal king who rules over the souls of men is mightier than any external foe with powerful armies. Rome is gone. Rome doesn't exist anymore, the empire. Napoleon is gone. Hitler is gone. Saddam Hussein is gone. But the kingdom of Jesus lives forever and marches on continually. Are you facing life's challenges with uncertainty? Wondering if you'll find your way through the storm? In today's message, Pastor Dave reminds us to lean on the Lord when you're going through the storm. God's plan is perfect, and if you are walking on His path, He will provide. Where God guides, God provides. Now, here's Pastor Dave in the book of Acts chapter 17 as he continues his message, Treason or Truth? These unbelieving Jews wanted to drag the missionaries before the magistrate. So what did they do? They manufactured a riot. They went to the bad men. I love that. Some evil men. There must have been guys in the city who were known for their evilness. They went to them. Hey, come on. We're going to have a riot. Yeah, cool. We haven't had a riot here in a long time. Woo-hoo. Let's have one. Yeah. It's always a good time for a riot. And they got these guys together. It says in verse 6, but when they did not find them, they went to Jason's house. They didn't find them. So what they do? They drug poor Jason and some of the brethren of the rulers of the city crying out, these who have turned the world upside down have come here too. I can hear them almost whining. Oh, they're coming here and they're going to turn us upside down. Same thing happened in Pisidia, Antioch. The same thing happened in Iconium. The same thing happened in Lystra on the first missionary tour. They also opposed Paul by a mob who was envious. It's interesting. It says they're envious. What are they envious about? It's almost like they want what they want what we have, but yet they don't want what we have. I like your lifestyle, but I don't want it. But yet I do want it. But I don't want Jesus to be a part of it, but I, I don't want it. I mean, talk about confusing. You know, to complain that the Christians have turned the world upside down, as they said, these men were, what they're saying was that these guys have come and they've radically impacted our world and nothing seems the same now. Our world is different because of these Christians coming in here. Do you make the world different because of you? Where you go, do things become different? When I worked at Wildwood High School, there was a certain table I sat at every morning for coffee. And, you know, the more I would talk about my Christianity, the different the table would get. The cussing slowed down. The foul jokes became quieter. If someone did cuss, they all of a sudden go, ooh, sorry. Do you make the world different where you go because you carry Christ with you? Is the world different when you're there because of Christ in you, the hope of glory? I hope so. You know, this wasn't meant as a compliment, as we said last week. But, you know, there are many, many Christians today who want to be told that they're turning the world upside down. It's become a compliment. But during this time, it wasn't a compliment. 
In verse 7, it continues, Jason has harbored them, and these are all acting contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying there is another king, Jesus. And here comes the charge. Treason. They're acting contrary to the decrees of Caesar himself. They're saying that, hey, there's another king, and his name is Jesus. This is high treason to the Roman Empire. This is high treason subject to death in the Roman Empire. Of all the things that they heard Paul and Silas say in the Sabbath those days, in the synagogue, they did hear the part about Jesus being king. That stuck with them. They heard that part about Jesus being king. So they were listening to what Paul was saying. But ever notice how when someone hears the Scriptures, they take little pieces of the Scriptures and they always turn it around to use it against you? They always do that. These sly people out there hear Scriptures and they'll just take this piece, this piece, this piece. Ah, gotcha. They throw it back in your face. Because it's false, it's not the truth. But not the entire scripture, it just becomes words. It doesn't become truth. The entire scripture makes it truth. The context makes it true. You take it out of context, you can do anything you want. And that's what's happening. They were envious. They were jealous. They used the truth as treason. They knew the prophecies. They knew that there would be a king. They heard them all. They knew them all, but now this was considered treason. It's interesting here that the Greek word used for another in this particular instance means another of a different kind. In other words, there's a king unlike Caesar. And it's another interesting fact that when you look at Paul's two letters to this church of Thessalonia, you see a strong emphasis that he gave about the kingship of Christ and the promises of his return. He gave strong emphasis to that. We know from this beautiful passage in John 18, verses 33 to 37, that our Lord's kingdom is not a political one. It's not a political one, nor is it of this world. This great conversation between Pilate and Jesus in this scripture. Then Pilate entered the praetorium again, called Jesus and said to him, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered him, are you speaking for yourself about this? Or did others tell you this concerning me? Pilate answered, I am a Jew. Our, your, our, your own nation and chief priests have delivered you to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I would not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. Pilate therefore said to him, are you a king then? Jesus answered, you say rightly that I am a king. For this cause I was born, and for this cause I have come into the world, that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of truth hears my voice. Wow. Pilate's questions reveals the doubts that he have. Are you the king of the Jews? He asked it because Jesus didn't look like a revolutionary. He didn't look like a criminal. He didn't look like someone that was going to overthrow the Roman Empire, knowing what the results would be. He says, are you speaking for yourself? Jesus has to clarify the question. Because the, the Roman concept of a king, to a king it means political arrival. Though Jesus was a king, he was not political in any sense. Jesus declares that there's a great and permanent difference between God's kingdom and the kingdom of this world. Jesus' kingdom originates in heaven. The foundation of Jesus' kingdom is peace. His servants won't fight to save him. He says, my kingdom is not here. Augustine observed this verse that earthly kingdoms are based upon force, pride, and the love of human praise, the desire for domination, and the self-interest. And this all displayed by Pilate and the Roman Empire. 
The heavenly kingdom exemplified by Jesus and the cross is based on love. It's based on sacrifice, it's based on humility, and it's based on righteousness. And Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1.23, to the Jews, this is a stumbling block. And to the Gentiles, it's foolishness. It confuses the world, and it's upside down to the world's standards. One person dying for all, one person giving their life for everyone. We must take great care that we live and serve with the power demonstrated by the cross and the cross alone. Not the power of our cities, our states, and our federal government. The key to living in Jesus' kingdom is not found by trying to rule over others, but being fully ruled by God and the Holy Spirit. Charles Colson wrote a book called Kingdoms in Conflict, and he writes this really crucial point. He says, while human politics is based on the premise that society must be changed in order to change people, in the politics of the kingdom, it is people who must be changed in order to change society. The world says no. The world says society has to change, and then people will change. No. People have to change. It begins in our hearts. Change begins with us. Change begins with you. Change begins it's accepting Jesus Christ as our Savior. And the change begins. That's when real change begins. In Jesus' day, they were, and they were conditioned to look for salvation in political solutions. We can also be attempted to further the process of the power and the kingdom by this world. I will not use worldly things to strengthen this church. We will not use worldly device, worldly programs to strengthen this church. This church will only be strengthened by the Word of God. This is the only thing that will strengthen this church, that will help this church grow in unity, to help it grow in oneness, to help it grow in the grace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and yes, to help it grow in numbers. This is the only thing that will do it is the Word of God, and we will not deter from it. This is it. We will not go by what works for the world. As God guides, God provides. If God is not guiding, or if God is not providing, then maybe he's not guiding. The eternal king who rules over the souls of men is mightier than any external foe with powerful armies. Rome is gone. Rome doesn't exist anymore, the empire. Napoleon is gone. Hitler is gone. Saddam Hussein is gone. But the kingdom of Jesus lives forever and marches on continually. The kingship of Jesus Christ is unlike the rulers of the world. Surprise! Jesus conquers with ambassadors, not armies. His weapons are truth and love. He brings men peace by upsetting the peace and turning things upside down. He conquers through the cross where he died for the world of lost sinners. He even died for his enemies. Think about it. He even died for his enemies, of which I was one when he died. I was his enemy. Paul and Silas preached that Christ the king, and they were charged with treason. But they preached the truth because Jesus is the king. He is our king. He is Christ the king, and his kingdom is not of this world yet. We live in a world that's run by the emperor of lies, Satan. 
When Matthew wrote his gospel, Matthew, the tax collector, whose name was Levi, he was a Jew, he wrote with one specific purpose in mind, to convince his brethren, the Jews, that Jesus was the Christ, the King of Israel. And everything he did in that entire gospel points to one thing, and that's Jesus Christ as being the Son of David, the Son of Abraham, the Son of God, the Messiah, the King. And that's what he did. He started out with his genealogy, proving Jesus' legal right to the throne of David. He talked about Jesus' deity with his virgin birth. He said that Jesus Christ fulfilled every prophecy that you could think of demanding there be a Messiah. Jesus Christ fulfilled it. They were all fulfilled in him. And he teased everyone by saying, his kingdom on earth is delayed a bit, and it will be fulfilled in his second coming. As we close this section today, we read verses 8 and 9, and it says, they troubled the crowd and the rulers of the city when they heard these things. Well, I guess so. So when they had taken security of Jason and the rest, they let him go. <laughs> Tell me it doesn't always come down to money. They took a bond from Jason. Well, give us a bond and we'll let you go. Come on. The mob was agitated and they could not find Paul and Silas. After troubling everyone, they got a bond. Everything that happened in Thessalonica was just a preface. It was just a, a beginning of what God was going to do, a mighty work in which he was going to accomplish. As you read Paul's first letter to the church of Thessalonica, in 1 Thessalonians 1, verses 6 through 10, Paul says this, And you, speaking of the church in Thessalonica, became followers of us and of our Lord, having received the word with much affliction, with joy in the Holy Spirit, so that you became examples of all in Macedonia and Achaia who believe. For from you the word of the Lord was sounded forth, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place. Your faith towards God has gone out, so that we do not need to say anything. For they themselves declare concerning us what manner of entry you had, we had to you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his son Jesus from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. These are great words that Paul's saying to the church. What wonderful words of encouragement he's saying to the church. He's saying, you guys distinguish yourself among all believers because you received the word during great affliction. It was very interesting that, that Jim prayed this morning about affliction, about being in need and being in pearl. Many of you are in need and are in pearl. Are you receiving the word of God in the midst of this affliction? How come is it that every time we get into the midst of affliction, every time we get into peril, every time we have trouble in our lives, the first thing we want to do is cut out church? I can't come to church today. I'm too upset. Huh? What? That's where you should be if you're upset. You should be in the house of God. You should be with your friends. You should be here listening to the, the word of God. We always do that. I'm upset. I had a bad day. I'm not going to church. Thessalonians heard the message, and as it came with diversity, but yet they received it as the word of God. And Paul said, thank you for receiving it. Paul thanked them. Interesting here that the word affliction, the word affliction actually gets the picture of making grapes. You know what you got to do to make a grape? You got to squash it. That's what the word affliction here, hard-pressed. They were hard-pressed, but yet they believed 
They believed God. They believed and they became examples of God's love to people that were around them. When the Thessalonian Christians faced affliction from receiving the word, they did it and didn't resign themselves to fatalism. They faced it with joy in the Holy Spirit. They faced it and said, we have joy now, joy unspeakable. We know that not long before coming to Thessalonica, Paul and Silas had this personal joy by the Holy Spirit when they had the earthquake and they led the Philippian jailer to salvation. What a great time that was. The Thessalonians responded to the gospel how? They became examples. They became doers of the word, not hearers only. First, Paul was an example to the Thessalonian, and then they became examples to others. This is how it works, friends. This is how it works. You remember, it's been in my mind for a long time, and I have to say it. Do you remember that old, that old TV commercial? It just started out with phones. And she told two friends, and she told two friends, and she told two friends, and she told... Oh, I guess I'm dating myself. This was a commercial long ago, but I remember the commercial. The old reach out and touch with someone commercial. That's how it goes, folks. We hear the message and we carry the message. We hear the message and we take it further. And that's how it works. We're the ones now carrying the message of God. We're the one that's carrying the message of salvation. We have the good news. The glorious risen Savior has saved us from our, from our sins. We're going to heaven. We're going to be with him forever. If that's not glorious good news, I don't know what is. We should be sharing that with anybody we come in contact with. We should be shouting it from the rooftops. We should all be standing around yelling and screaming, Howard, Jesus is alive. That's what these guys were doing. That's what the, the, the church was doing. They were telling people about it. Christians need examples. They need examples of people being Christians. The world needs an example of people being Christians. The world needs someone to stand up and say, no, that's wrong, according to the Word of God. Not whatever works. We need to stand up for righteousness, folks. We've been given a mandate. We need to stand up and be counted as Christians. Our Christianity should mean something. We're subjects of the Most High God. We're subjects of a king and a kingdom that will never die, never fade away, never go anywhere. A kingdom that was built on love. This is exactly how the Word of God works. Paul was only there a very, very short time. We said it probably was more than three Sabbaths. We estimated it to be anywhere from five to six weeks, maybe two months. But he was only there a very short time. And these Christian believers got it. They received it. They received it under great duress, under great affliction. And then they took it out places. They didn't even tuck it in their pocket. I'm going to save this for a rainy day. They received it and they took it elsewhere. They knew the truth and they declared it regardless of what it meant. And that meant being called a traitor being accused of treason, the message spread by the power of the Holy Spirit. Doesn't this sound like a church you want to belong to? Doesn't this sound like a church, a vibrant church, a church that's not ashamed to proclaim the gospel proudly and loudly, a church that lives right side up in an upside down world, a church that that longs for her king, come quickly, Lord Jesus, Maranatha, come quickly, a church that is an example to others? These believers 
followed the Holy Spirit and they followed Paul's examples. Their faith was well known. It was renowned by all the Gentile churches. They were using their God-given talents. They were using all their facilities and everything they had to honor him and to glorify his name. Adversity didn't prevent them from continuing. They weren't having a bad day, so they stopped talking about Christ. They knew that Christ was the answer in the middle of adversity. Christ was the answer to our problems. He is the answer to drug addictions. He's the answer to alcoholism. He's the answer to abortion, the answer to homosexuality, the answer to everything wrong with the world. Jesus Christ is the answer. Why do we keep that such a secret? It's the answer. The church in Thessalonica shouted it for all to hear. Even the threat of treason didn't stop them because they knew the truth. The truth. They knew the truth. Do you know the truth today? And are you so, so set in the truth that nothing is going to stop you from declaring Jesus Christ as your Lord? Are you so cemented into the foundation of Jesus Christ and so grounded and rooted in his word you can't wait to tell somebody about it. You can't wait to share it somehow. To see the eyes of someone who, who comes into the kingdom as a new believer. To rejoice with the angels in heaven when somebody accepts Christ. Don't let the threat of treason in a world that's upside down to God bother you. Don't let what other people think about you bother you. Because the only thing that really matters is what Christ thinks of you and he loves you. Even a death sentence couldn't deter these Thessalonians. We live in a world where we don't have a death sentence for proclaiming the name of God yet. We live in a world where we can freely proclaim Jesus. These Christians, they preached the word of God. They lived according to the word, and they showed people and they demonstrated Christ to the world. Oh, that somebody would see you and come to you and go, I want what you have. Because it's so real. It's so real that others want it. Because Christianity should be contagious. If someone in this place starts to cough, guaranteed, sooner or later we'll all cough. We'll all be coughing. Wouldn't it be that easy to run into a movie theater and yell, Jesus, and hope that the Jesus would start getting, people would start getting saved that way? Christianity should be contagious. Let's declare Jesus Christ as King of Kings. Nothing should stop us. Nothing should keep us from declaring the truth. That's the kind of church I want to be. I want to be that kind of church. And I'm asking you, I'm asking you to join me in this endeavor. I'm asking you to worship our King together, to declare the name of Jesus together as one. I'm asking you, stand up for righteousness with me. Let's make a difference in Cape May County. Let's make a difference on Seashore Road. Let's make a difference for God. You are a sure. 
Thank you for joining us here today on A Sure Hope. In this series, Pastor Dave has been teaching through the book of Acts. This book follows the journeys of many disciples, but especially of the Apostle Paul. He took several missionary trips to tell others about Jesus, and he acquired many companions along the way. Wouldn't it be interesting to be a traveling missionary? He met many people who readily accepted the message he was bringing. In other cities, his life was threatened and he was pushed out as people didn't want to hear about the way. But being a Christian isn't meant to just be an easy road. As Paul's life displayed, you go into it knowing that there will be obstacles that you face. Is it worth it, you might ask? Of course it is. The prize that you'll be rewarded is far more precious than the things of this world. Staying true to Jesus, who gave up everything for you, is the best way you can live your life for Him. We're so glad we got to spend time with you today. A Sure Hope is a ministry out of Calvary Chapel, Cape May, in Cape May, New Jersey. If you're in the area, we'd love to see you on Sunday mornings. Check out AsureHopeRadio.com for service times and directions. Once again, that's AsureHopeRadio.com. And don't worry if you can't make it in person. On the website, you'll notice links to our live stream via Facebook and YouTube. All of these can be accessed through AsureHopeRadio.com. Don't forget to come back next time as Pastor Dave continues to go through the book of Acts again, right here on Assure Hope.